0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the System Podcast with your hosts, Eric and Tyson. On today's episode, we'll be focusing on the U.S. criminal justice system, and specifically how it serves as an instrument for creating economic inequality.
1: Despite declines in crime and talk of criminal justice reform, the United States continues to incarcerate a much larger fraction of its population than any other advanced industrialized nation. Becky Pettit and Brian Sykes' research indicate people are four times more likely to be incarcerated in the U.S. than the U.K., which is the second most incarcerated nation and ten times more likely than people living in Sweden, Denmark, or the Netherlands. The burden of this intensive incarceration continues to fall disproportionately on black men. For instance, at the end of 2015, a full 9.1% of young black men ages 20 to 34 were incarcerated, a rate that is 5.7 times that of young white men, who have a percentage of 1.6. In 2015, 10% of black children had an incarcerated parent, compared with 3.6% of Hispanic children and 1.7% of white children.
0: Wow, those stats are really astonishing and very skewed. So it's really interesting. There's data from... Michelle Alexander's book called The New Jim Crow, which found not only that racial bias in the criminal justice system exists, but also that the system itself was constructed in a way to render people of color as second-class citizens, much like the Jim Crow laws of the 19th and early 20th centuries did. So inmates and ex-cons are marginalized, both politically, economically, and socially, forming a new racial undercut.
1: As we talked about with our experts who are criminal justice attorneys, most of this uh, disproportionate um, policing started in the 1980s when President Reagan began the war on drugs, which was based on incorrect statistics about drug use. People of all races use, buy, and sell drugs at very similar rates. This policy was largely aimed to appease white voters, and no politician wanted to be seen as soft on crime, especially when the media reported the most brutal crimes.
0: So from this, in the 1980s, police were given free reign to racially profile suspects, even though data and statistics did not support racial profiling. I interviewed a prominent, experienced criminal defense attorney from Rhode Island. His name is Terry McGurney. And he attributed much of the systematic inequalities to drug crimes. So let's take a listen to what he had to say.
2: If you want to do a racial breakdown, it would seem to me, depending on what kind of charge it is, some of them are, I would say, race-neutral. You mm-hmm. would agree, like, yes. domestics. I'd do say domestic, we do a lot of domestic DUIs, those are definitely race-neutral. You yep. just as many black, white, Hispanic, Asian... Um, anyone can get drunk, anyone can get into an argument... That has absolutely, I'd say basically race blind. Yes. Mm. I would say narcotics is definitely leans more towards uh, Hispanic and, and African Americans. I mean, there's plenty of white people in the drug game too. But the socioeconomic, more, that's what I was telling them, it's more socioeconomic. But I would say drug cases are definitely lean stronger towards Hispanic and African Americans. And, and the, the other cases are pretty much... Uh, race neutral. I'd say the gun cases may be a little more African more, yeah. and that's also socioeconomic. Most of them are project kids yeah. and gang kids uh, who live in the projects, and guns seem to be more, for some reason, readily available to them. Mm. Just to be clear though, I don't think, neither Terry nor I would ever say that race is a causal factor in this. It's not like if you are Hispanic, that leads
0: you to a tendency to do drugs. Of course, yeah, of course, drugs. yeah. No, I it understand.
2: More of, if you fall on hard economic times, they are more apt to look for shortcuts, more apt
1: to do things. That, it's more, it's more social, it's correlational, not causal. Thanks, Terry. Furthermore, low-income blacks and Hispanics cannot defend themselves in courts. They historically cannot afford decent lawyers and thus will be convicted of the same crimes whites are committing who are able to get the charges dropped with a good lawyer. Mandatory minimums in sentencing lead to absurdly disproportionate sentences for poor minorities. Probation and parole are almost impossible to adhere to, leading most offenders back to jail. Mandatory sentences give no choice to judges even if they wish to be lenient people who commit minor crimes end up with incredibly harsh punishments. Later, tragically, their status as a felon, which limits their ability to provide for themselves and their families, may force them to break the law again. A study found that 68% of people released from jail were back in jail within three years for a new offense, most being minor offenses. Parole is also difficult because of the stringency of the rules and the ease with which people can be thrown back into jail.
0: So I spoke to a criminal defense attorney in Rhode Island. His name is Richard McNeils. He spoke to me about the importance of the leniency of a judge and whether or not they were lenient or harsh had a huge impact on sentencing. So let's take a listen to what Richard had to say.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't agree with with all the statutes and the law. I, I think it's an injustice that if you violate while you're on home confinement, you end up having to serve your entire sentence with no chance of parole, but that's a statutory uh, also, issue. Also, another factor is I think the public would largely assume that the judges are all uniform, but that's not true. How so? You can walk in
1: one day and have the most a lenient judge, and you can score something with like a slap on the wrist. If you went there with a same back pattern with a
2: different judge, you could have gotten an entirely different result.
0: Even though most drug dealers and drug users are white, three fourths of those in prison for drug offenses were either black or Latino. And in fact, in seven states, these ethnic groups made up around 80 to 90 percent of all prison inmates. So it's pretty obvious that people of all races do use drugs, but not all races are treated the same after they're arrested for possession or sales of drugs. Surprisingly, young white men are actually those most likely to be guilty of illegal possession or selling drugs, as well as most likely to be admitted to the emergency room for drug-related incidents.
1: So, Eric, after hearing all of these staggering statistics and facts, uh, I think it begs the question, why is this the case? Mm -hmm. Overt racism is mostly, or at least we'd like to think, it's mostly a thing of the past, and the law is ostensibly colorblind.
0: So it should be a thing of the past, but it's not, and we all know that. So firstly, it's almost impossible to prove racial bias as it is completely subconscious. Unless there's overt racism, like something like a police officer using a racial slur, saying the n-word, something like that, there's no case to, to be made for racial bias. With a supposed colorblind system that we have these days, most people don't see this as an issue and don't believe that racial bias exists in this country but this is just ignorant thinking. However, studies have shown that people almost always envision a black person when asked to picture a drug user. (coughs) This could indicate systematic racial bias in America. Studies have also shown that when asking to punish this alleged criminal, people were much harsher in their sentencing if he or she had dark skin. Racial bias in the drug war is seemingly inevitable.
1: This puts people of color at a very disadvantageous place because they cannot defend themselves in a legal sense um, when faced with these cases of uh, racial discrimination.
0: So Tyson, it's interesting, not a lot of people know this, that problems also exist within the jury selection process, which is very important for the sentencing and verdict of court cases. So even though it's unconstitutional to discriminate jurors based on race, it still happens all the time. And black defendants often end up with predominantly white juries, whereas white criminals do not end up with predominantly black juries for the most part. Lawyers can easily get away with this as long as there's no explicit racism or explicit discrimination. Most jury selection comes from places like the DMV, which has less people of color than whites. Also, Felons cannot serve as jurors, which is significant due to the fact that, according to the NAACP, blacks and Latinos are incarcerated at five times the rate of white people. Prosecutors can get away with absurd reasons for excluding jurors, and to go on top of that, the Supreme Court has done nothing to preclude this practice from happening.
1: While prosecutors have the most power, clearly police have the most discretion. They choose to go into the ghettos to look for drugs and subject the poor who have been forced to live there to their persecutions. To many it seems like an occupation. The police are very militarized and hostile. Some people claim it is easier for them to police there because there are more public transactions. However, the incentives to deal drugs are so great that one dealer will just replace another and the war on drugs is going nowhere and is doomed to fail.
0: In Ferguson, one in eight people, one in eight white people are pulled over, that's the rate, and to compare that, one in two black people are pulled over. So basically, black people are four times more likely to be pulled over in Ferguson, Missouri than white people are. If this is not an example, of racial bias, I don't know what is. So to go building off of that, the majority of white drivers, 68% of white drivers were stopped for moving violation, while the majority of black drivers, 57% of black drivers were stopped for license or equipment issue. So research has shown that although blacks are more likely than whites to have vehicle code violations, this difference does not account for the disproportionate rate of stops for non-moving violations. So after making a stop in Ferguson, Missouri, Ferguson police searched 12% of black drivers' cars in contrast to 7% of white drivers' cars. So that's almost double the rate of search for black drivers than white drivers. Despite the high rate of stops and searches for black drivers, police had a lower contraband hit rate when searching black drivers' cars compared to white drivers' cars. So this means that even though white drivers were searched less often, they found drugs more often than they did in black people's cars. Yet blacks were twice as likely as whites to be arrested during a traffic stop. 10% for blacks and 5% for whites. Again, double the amount. Two factors account for this disparity. First, by searching such a high proportion of black drivers, officers found contrabands on a similar share of black drivers as white drivers, but on a smaller proportion of black drivers that they searched. The most influential factor, though, was that black drivers were more likely to have arrest warrants compared to their white counterparts. This has to do with the systematic racism and systematic inequality which oppresses black people in this country. Black drivers were also more likely to have these warrants in part because of unpaid fines related to their disproportionate exposure to Traffic enforcement.
2: However, I do believe the scrutiny and the, the uh, enforcement by police and law enforcement is definitely a little more disproportional towards African-Americans,
0: Hispanics, Asians, and people in lower socioeconomic positions. So with people of color facing so many misdemeanor and felony arrests, When prisoners are released from jail, they face a harsh reality of limited opportunities and a tough life on the outside. Most felons can't even get public housing and of course they can't vote. Most felons, ex-felons I should say, are not eligible for public assistance like food stamps or welfare that help people who are poor or struggling in America. Most have trouble finding work because admitting you are a convicting felon is tantamount to not even bothering to apply. Furthermore, the shame and stigma attached to being a felon is psychologically oppressive. Since most felons are black and Latino, they are disproportionately disadvantaged by this system, which is sad to admit.
1: So to wrap this up... Um, As a result of all the things that we've talked about today, people of color are disadvantaged at almost every stage of the U.S. criminal justice system. They are more likely to be stopped, searched, and arrested, they are less likely to be able to afford a decent attorney, and are more likely to be convicted of the crime. Once released, they have few opportunities economically or socially. And as a result, inmates and ex-convicts, especially those who are people of color, are marginalized politically, economically, and socially, which creates inequality in America.
0: So unfortunately, this is all the time that we have, and we are concluding now. But thank you so much for listening to The System Podcast with your hosts, Eric Kushner and Tyson Better.